so good to have you back in the house and, and back here. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. yeah sure. You're looking in good nick, so marriage must be something you're really enjoying. It's either that or the diet she's put me on. <laughs> a lot more exercise. Yeah. It's cool having you back down in Christchurch. And what, what, where are you off to after this? Uh, we're heading down to um, um, Gore, of all places. <laughs> Small little place. Um, yeah, we're just taking a bit of time off during the week and, and then heading back up to Omaru. Yeah, so it's... Uh, hey, well, look, as a Christchurch person, I just want to say we're loaning you to Auckland, but <laughs> Christchurch is in your heart. Yeah, You've yeah, built a lot of houses down here. You've lived here for a long time. You're always welcome back, eh? Hey? Thank you. Cool. Please feel free. Beautiful. Yeah, I got real excited because I was like, okay, I'm going to marry a Cantabrian. Finally, I'm going to have a winning rugby team. Because <laughs> yes, I'm from Auckland and we're, the blue's not good, yeah. <sighs> so um, I got really enthusiastic. Yeah, okay. And so I was like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch this game. With I've watched two games and the Crusaders lost them both. So now, if I don't watch, we're sweet. If I'm watching, sorry. Next year, so I'm just going to stay right out of it. I'm like, I'm, I'm in the bedroom going, uh, we're still winning. Yeah, and I just keep right out of things. So oh, it's such a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much for having us um, back and have, welcoming us back into your church. I feel very much at home here. Um, and it's been, who, who watched the Royal Wedding? It's pretty cool, eh? What I loved the most was watching all those poms squirm as the Americans did their American stuff. Because <laughs> that Episcopalian preacher was preaching up a storm, you know, and you could see Prince Charles like, mm. <laughs> You could just, or you, it didn't take much prophetic gift to know what they're thinking. There was a lot of collective eye rolling. But I think my favorite part was when they sang God Save the Queen. And I was like, if I was the Queen, I don't think I could hesitate or make myself stop. At the end of God Save the Queen, I'd be like, boom, every time. All kind of standing up going, <laughs> my humble subject. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably best I'm not the Queen. But um, anyway, it's such a, a pleasure to be here. And I'm just going to take my Fitbit off. We need to, someone needs to develop a Fitbit. I didn't want to lose any steps between here and there, so I had to leave it on. And I've only done 1.3. So far it keeps telling me, get up, get up. I think someone needs to develop a worship Fitbit. Because surely there's a bit of this should count for something. We need like a raise and praise. And it should count for something like that, you know. Anyway. Um, today, our, oh. Wow, we've got some real, there we go. Slightly fantastic sounds. That was cool. Um, today my theme is the beautiful survivor. And I am going to talk to you just a little bit about my story and some of the things that I have kind of survived. And the thing I love about being in church is that I know that we have been through many, many things collectively. And one thing I love about this church is often I go into churches and the, the room is full of people who are old before their time. And this church is full of people who stay young, even though they might be a little older. And I reckon that's really cool. As I, I don't know how I can say this nicely, you know, you're like young after your time. I don't want to say that your time's up or you've gone down the hill or anything. Apparently you peak at 18 and it's downhill from there, so that's probably bad news for everybody. But um, it's, a, it's so cool to see you guys, and I know that we all survive our different things, but I've found this amazing scripture, and we're going to chuck it up on the screen, just as a sort of a start point today um, from Corinthians. Dinner. Going to be appearing as if by magic. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And the thing I love about this verse is the one degree. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later, about the process of going through that one degree of glory to another. But I kind of wanted just to start with the strong sense that we are all in this process and we're all in this slow change, metamorphosis different phases, different stages, and here we are. But one of the things that I have survived 
um, is having real tragedy and crisis in my life. And what I did was, during that period of time, I really ran back into the hymns of my childhood. I love singing Amazing Grace this morning. We love singing those songs. But some of the safe parts of our faith that were there when we were young. So I'm going to start with a song I did do last year, but I'm sure you'll forgive me because it is my favorite uh, hymn. It is Well With My Soul. And I love this hymn because I sang it at a time in my life when I was surviving great upheaval and great change. And I'd been asked to sing my, I'd been married for 17 years and my husband had decided he no longer wanted to be married to me. And six weeks after that, I'd been asked to sing in a church. And they said, can you come in and can you sing one song in three services? And I thought, I'm going to give it a go. It was probably ill-advised, but I thought, I'm going to get back on the horse and see if I fall off. And so, you know, I thought one song, what could possibly go wrong? Lots of things, but don't worry about that. So I thought, I'll turn up. Nobody knew what was going on in my world. No idea. Only my sister really knew it was happening, and she said to me, you're crazy, don't do it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to give it a go. But I love the idea, I, I, and I thought I'm going to pick the hardest song to sing. I'm going to pick it as well with my soul, because it was not well with my soul at all. But the thing I love about the song is it doesn't say, it is well with my finances, or it is well with my health, or it is well with my relationships. It just says it is well with my soul. And in one way, surviving is actually learning how to change our reaction on the inside when all around us is out of our control. So this is, uh, you know, and also Horatio Spafford, the wonderful great survivor who went through his incredible experiences. Of uh, this beautiful hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when so.
Well, looking back through my life, I was a child of the 70s, wonderful era. Lots of sticking things to other things in the 70s. Lots of making handcraft and poker work. Lots of small brown mosaic tiles being attached to walls individually, which we're now scraping off and taking a lot of time. But we thought in the 70s, who would ever want to remove these beautiful things? I've got an idea. Let's make a, a kitchen bench out of four billion tiles because no one in their right mind will ever need to scrape these off. Neck minute. <laughs> I've got a 70s house covered in clinker brick with those yellow, um, you know, like the glass has got yellow, looks like it's got bottles stuck in it. I love it. Michael's constantly trying to break the windows by accident so we can get rid of them. He's like, we can get rid of that. So I was like, I don't want to get rid of that. He's like, please get rid of that. But, you know, the 70s are wonderful. But I think you're, you're born in one era and you're kind of cool in the next decade because you sort of hit your straps, you hit your mojo. So the 80s was kind of my jam. In the 80s, I was pretty cool. I had one fluorescent green sock and one fluorescent pink sock. I know. And I had another pair the same. You can work that out later. Uh, but one of the things I survived in the 80s, and I think, you know, some of you might think this is a bit shallow, but those who've been through this will truly understand, is I survived a perm. Because you couldn't go through the 80s without having a perm because that would just not be cool at all. But what happened was I watched a movie called Top Gun in the 80s, and I saw Kelly McGillis with her beautiful, curly, sort of wavy bob, and I had blonde hair in those days, and I... Um, I, I'm actually a natural blonde. Well, I'm actually a natural grey, to be honest. But it's cheaper to dye it brown than it is to dye it blonde, so I'm just sticking with that. Um, so in those days, I had this sort of beautiful blonde hair, and I went to the hairdresser, and I said, can you make me look like, you know, Kelly McGillis? And she said, what we'll do is we'll give you a body wave. Now, a body wave is basically a perm that doesn't work. Um, so I, I, pay, I paid a lot of money for this sort of really light perm. And what happened was, after a few days, it just kind of all fell out, and it was like, not my hair just the curls. So I ended up with this back to my straight long hair. So my sister came to the rescue. She was older than me and she said, look, I've got a really good idea. And she uttered a sentence with two words in it which should never, ever be used in the same sentence. She said, let's do a home perm. <laughs> the alarm bell should have been ringing, ringing. But at that point, what we thought was to double down, now we knew my hair was hard to perm, we thought we'd do a spiral home perm. Now, for the uninitiated, what we do is we take a bit of hair and we twist it and then we curl it, just to really double down on that curliness. And then she's like, well, obviously the big rollers in the body wave didn't work, so we'll go to my grandma's and we'll get her really small, tight rollers, because they'll stick better. And just to top it off, we'll leave it on for twice as long as the box says. <laughs> so I went in with long, straight hair and I came out of the sperming process with very short hair but there had been no cutting involved. It was just, like, curly. The nickname of the poodle stuck for many, many months. And it had a life of its own. It just kind of moved independently. If I flicked my head too fast, I got whiplash. You know, it would sort of enter the room before me, and it just moved all on its own. And everyone was like, don't worry, it will relax. It didn't relax. <laughs> It just stayed like that. And what happened was, of course, my hair's not that curly. And so as it grew out, there was quite a long time. <laughs> and the rest is history. I'm so glad there was no such thing as social media. Because there are photos, but they've all been removed from this earth. And uh, nobody's going to come up with that. So, so I survived the 80s and I survived my, my beautiful, dubious perms. But I think during every era, we think when we're teenagers, we want to be someone cool. And I really wanted to be Cindy Lauper. I was just channeling her coolness, you know. Turns out she's a bit crazy and so am I, so we've got quite a bit in common in the end. But um, I always had this favourite song, and I love the song because it kind of captured that time in my life where I was feeling excited about life and feeling really um, optimistic about everything. But it also says that when I look at you, I see your true colours. I see something inside of you that only comes out under pressure. I see something inside of you that only shows itself when you are required to bring it out. Your true colours are the stuff that, um, that, the responses that come out when we're really in a state of difficulty. And I love being able to look at other people and go, I see your true colours. And sometimes they don't shine through very well, 
but sometimes they do, and I want to see them. So this is my kind of favourite song from the 80s. I could have done Girls Just Want to Have Fun, but that would have been awesome, actually. I'll save that for next time. So this is True Colours. <laughs> you with the sand Don't be discouraged Don't realise it's, it's hard to take courage In a world full of Thank you. Right, is my own life just to sort of sweep across the stage and use everything? Maybe a drum solo next. I'll finish on the flute. No, I'm kidding. I'm just going to go and play the guitar. Um. When we consider what God has helped us through, the stuff that we have survived and the things that we've gone through, it can be really intimidating when it comes to giving him back our praise and our worship because it feels like he did so much and what we do is so small. You know, dying on the cross is a hard act to follow. <laughs> it's kind of like, you did that and I'm just going to come here with my little thank you. And it doesn't feel like enough. And as an artist, you know, I think we... And, I give my own thanks and my own praise back to God in my own little way, but every single one of us will have our different ways of doing that. And so we can, we can feel like um, saying thank you for what he's done is kind of insufficient. But I remember when I was a little girl, I used to come out and um, I used to bring my mum flowers and we had a little game and I would get a bunch of flowers and I would come out and I'd say, roses are red, violets are blue, you love me and I love you. And I would present her with a little bunch of flowers and she'd be like, oh, thank you, you know. And... Um, I discovered in my backyard, I had a big imagination in those days, and I quite fancied myself as Heidi. Do you remember, who remembers Heidi? Remember reading Heidi, Heidi of the Alps? She's in the Swiss Alps. That probably wasn't a very good uh, Swiss accent, was it? Heidi of the Alps. It was a little bit more Irish. Boy likes that, yes. Like sort of Irish accent. I'll do that later. Um, but, you know, Heidi of the Alps, I quite fancied myself as Heidi, sort of yodeling through the backyard, and um, I had a sheltered upbringing. One of the, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the youngest of five, so I spent a lot of time on my own. One of my games I used to play in a tree in the backyard was Ruth and Naomi. I'd be Ruth and then I'd be Naomi. And then I'd go back to being Ruth. <laughs> and sometimes I used to play communion. <laughs> We'd get crackers and juice and I'd like get on one side and then I'd put it on the seat and then run around the back and come around and pick it up and drink it. 
sheltered. I, I was brought up in a cult. Does that explain anything? Um, <laughs> semi-cult. I'm, nearly, I'm joking a little bit, but it was kind of like glory of our light. <laughs> it wasn't actually the same, but there's some remarkable similarities. Um, the only thing I can compare it to would be exclusive brethren, but we didn't like them either. We just didn't like anyone. We didn't like Baptists. We didn't like Elam. We didn't like Catholics. You know, yeah, pretty much if you didn't go to our church. <laughs> it was all bad news. But anyway, um, so very sheltered. But in that time, but I, but I actually had a wonderful home life, so I'm not complaining. But I remember coming. Now, my mum was amazing. And so I used to want to get flowers for her all the time. And I found these flowers growing in the backyard, and I was convinced they were snowdrops. Because in my Heidi books, she went up the mountain and found a snowdrop. But of course, they weren't actually snowdrops. They were onion flowers. You know, yeah, yeah. So I used to pick these for my mum all the time. I was like, oh, I found some snowdrops, you know. Now, my mum was an amazing woman. Five children, very little money, practical, you know. And I used to think, I look back now and I think, how did you do that? At the time, I didn't think that. I just thought, you know, she was normal. Um, but I remember once her hiding in the bathroom to get a little bit of peace and a little bit of moment silence. And I remember banging on the door and she's like, can I have five minutes peace? And I remember thinking, what is wrong with you, woman? What a drama queen. I look back now, I'm thinking, oh. She never complained about motherhood. So I'm breaking the cycle. <laughs> I complain constantly. Um, but yeah, I saw used to come to now. She deserved flowers and roses and orchids and all this. And all I could turn up was my stupid onion flowers. But you know what I loved about her is she never once batted an eyelid. She always received my flowers in the spirit in which they were intended. And I'm so grateful for that. She never looked at it and said, oh, there's not much here. You know, she was just like, oh, babe. She took them and then she threw them out the window. <laughs> they never made it to a vase. I couldn't figure out why. But, you know, she'd be like, oh. Oh, oh. You know, like we do with Mother's Day presents. Oh. Yeah, where's that thing? Oh, I don't know. It's gone in the recycling. But it's a thought that counts, right? Although when it comes to Mother's Day, don't just give the thought because that will not go down well. But I love the fact, you know, when we come to God, all we've got is onion flowers. We turn up going like, hi, oh, thank you. But you know what? As God, our loving Father, he receives that gift in the spirit in which it's intended. He never looks at it and be like, oh, you think you could do better than that. He's just like, oh, my baby. That's my kid. That's my boy. That's my girl. They bought me onion flowers. <laughs> Again. <laughs> when are they going to learn? But anyway, yeah. So as I, um, and thanks to God, I, I return my thanks in song and in messages. And um, so I've written a little song, and it's called... Um, uh, when I put my name next to it on the order of service, it actually says Julia Grace dash beautiful one. <laughs> I know. And um, I actually didn't do that on purpose, but it's done wonders for my self-esteem over the years. Uh, so my next single is going to be called Water Hottie. Uh, followed by She Doesn't Look a Day Over 25. <laughs> and if you squint and stand far back enough, that is true. Right. So this is beautiful What can I bring as a gift from my heart? You bridge the chasm that held us apart. And I will forever be grateful for all that you've done. Words seem so fragile compared to your love. Yet they're infused with fire from above. So let my song be sweet melody here to your heart. You take my song, you turn it to light. You read my heart, you open my sight. I will be yours and you will be mine evermore. In you is now for anything more you have brought sweetness and filled up the depths of my soul you take my song you turn it to light you read my heart and you open my sight well, beautiful one you are 
moments in church, eh? Do you clap? Do you not clap? Are we giving praise to Jesus if you clap for me? What it basically means is that I've finished and you have acknowledged that I've finished and we can move on. So thanks. Because um, <laughs> sometimes it's just like awkward. Royal Wedding, there was a bit of awkward, like you were like, yeah, oh no. Um, God save the Queen, yeah, no. Um, it's great in Pentecostal churches because they just started clapping about an hour before and they're still clapping, so you can just go with the flow on that. But I as I said, was brought up in that pretty conservative background. And when during the, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, I started going into youth group um, with my church. And we, we were fully of the idea in those days, particularly in our church, but also, I think, in, in New Zealand culture, that girls did things like knitting and baking and boys did things like wearing the knitting and eating the baking. Because, of course, they're genetically unable to do either of those things. And so what would happen was we would be asked to bring along to church and along to youth group food. So they're like, can you make a cake and bring it along and then put it down and the boys will eat it? <laughs> and you won't get any. Because boys like to eat, but they don't really eat. What they do is they just inhale. You know, I've got a teenage son. They just sort of stand around mellow puffs and go, <gasps> and they just disappear. It's like a miracle. It's like a miracle in reverse. like the loaves and the fishes the other way round. You know, they're like, we're just going to gobble it down. And I used to get really annoyed because I would love to make food and cakes, but I never really got any. So I thought, well, what I'm going to do is come up with a, a three-stage plan of how to get around this problem. So, ladies, if you ever asked to bring a cake, this one's for you. The first stage of my problem-solving issue is actually called the double-up. So while you're baking the cake, what you do is you double the recipe, and then you just eat half of the mixture. Amen. So, you know, because if there's one thing better than cake, it's cake mix. Because if there's anything better than cookie, it's actually cookie dough. Has anyone made cookie dough just to eat the dough? The rest of you are lying or you haven't tried it yet. <laughs> Highly recommend. Oh, it's so nice. I love the cookie dough. It's funny in my house because I used to make the cookie dough and my daughter was always trying to eat it. Now it's kind of like we've reversed. So she Googles it and, you know, makes the cookie dough. And the other day she made some cookie dough. And she, she said to me, she goes, Mum, I've made some cookie dough, and I've put it in the fridge to rest. It must have been tired or something. And um, so she said, don't touch it. I was like, pretty sure, A, I paid for it. B, I'll do what I like, and C, I don't know what C is, but anyway. Um, so what I did was I waited till she went into her room and shut the door, because I didn't want to get in trouble. And so I snuck past her door, and I came upstairs, and I opened the fridge. And I saw the cookie dough sitting there glistening. I woke it up. <laughs> and I thought, how am I going to do this? I'm going to have to be very, very careful. Because she watches a lot of CSI. <laughs> and I don't want to leave any fingerprints. You know, I'm from West Auckland. I know how to cover the scene of the crime. So what I did was I got it out carefully. And I just scraped a little bit off the side. And I was like, if I just scrape a bit off here and a bit off there, she's never going to know. And I wrapped it up and I put it back. She's like, shh, I just like, you know. Put it back, shut the fridge, and I scrap down says, About half an hour later, I get this, Mom, have you been in the cookie dough? I was like, maybe. <laughs> oh, it's a wonderful thing. Get revenge on your daughter, eh? When I go overseas, I'll say, just, you know, call me if there's an emergency. I'll get a call. Have you seen my MAC lipstick? I was like, yeah, it's on my lips. <laughs> and this is not an emergency. Um, I love it. Anyway, so that's the first part. The second part, what you do is you bake the cake, 
And then you get it out of the oven and you turn a glass upside down in the middle and you go and you pull out the middle of the cake, the beautiful, gooey, slightly undercooked, warm centre. Eat that. Now you've got a ring cake. But wait, there's more. Now, the third part, you need to be a little bit careful. So what you can do is if you're careful, you can cut a slice out of that cake and eat it and then just scooch it back together and glue it up with icing. Now, if you get too greedy, this will not work. It'll start looking like an almond or the eye of Sauron or something, and people will begin to notice. But if you're careful, you just end up with a really, really small cake, you're welcome. So... I was doing, so when they asked me to bake, I'm like, sure, no problem, because, you know, I was going to eat a hole and a half in the cake, and so I started baking a cake. Now, in these days, I was brought up really British, and so food was clearly designated into two categories, good British fare and foreign muck. (laughs) Meat and three veg, good British fare. Pizza, foreign muck. If it was spicy, colourful, tasty or we'd fought against you in World War II, (laughs) forget it. So just plain good old British food, you know? And so we just cooked from the Edmunds cookbook. So it might be a a banana cake was quite exciting, and, you know, maybe a a chocolate cake. But my sister had started getting a little bit ooh-la-la, a little bit avant-garde, a bit fancy. She decided to make carrot cakes. We're like, ooh, carrots in a cake. And bearing in mind, at this point, we were still sticking a toothpick through a piece of cheese and a piece of pineapple into an orange and going, oh, fancy, oh, it's nice and usual, it's interesting, you know, we're like, oh, la, la. So carrots and a cake was quite a big deal. So I thought, I'm going to make a carrot cake. And she brought in this recipe, and it had eight eggs and a cup of oil. Now, post-war Barbara would not have been impressed (laughs) with this recipe. And, of course, I had to do part one of my project was the double up. So somehow I managed to sneak 16 eggs and two cups of oil into my mixture. She would have hit the roof, but I didn't tell her. So anyway, it got it in there, and it was just amazing, this huge big cake. And the other thing we had in the 1980s was long fingernails. Some of you can see where this is going. So I got the grater, and I got the carrots, and I started to grate. (laughs) I started to grate the carrots. No blood, but four long nails into the mixture. And if you've ever seen the movie Titanic, where the lady leans over the bow and the heart of the sea, the diamond, disappears into the Atlantic, those four fingernails just went sucked down into the ooey-gooey, eggy, oily mixture, never to be seen again. I was like, what am I going to do? I can't start again. I can't find another 16 eggs. I've used most of the grocery budget here already. And I don't have time to do anything else. I'm just going to have to keep going. So I thought, I know. Nuts and seeds. (laughs) I'm just going to throw nuts and seeds into this cake and just put heaps in there. So I threw all these nuts and seeds in and I cooked it. Now, needless to say, there was no double up. There was no eating the middle and there was no eating the slice. You know, I just baked a big cake. And so normally my cakes were small, but today my cakes were huge. They were like the woman of Samaria. They grew up, they grew wide, they were just spreading all over the oven. I came up with this amazing carrot cake. And I put some cream cheese icing in it, or a bit more fancy, fancy, and a little bit more nuts and seeds just to cover all my bases. And I brought it along to youth group. As I walked into the room, I could feel my marriage stocks rising. <laughs> you know, small community, small world, boys, oh, childbearing hips, bakes big cake, must marry Julia. I was like, yeah. I put it down on the table and we stepped back. Now, in those days, we had the girls were on one side at youth group and and then a table and the boys were on the other side because we might get pregnant or something. And um, (laughs) It's the only logical explanation. And and I stepped back and the man said grace and the guys just descended on this cake and they were eating my cake. And he could see them. I was like, how's the cake? Me and my friends, they're like, oh, Ray, will you marry me? I was like, how much do you earn? <laughs> and oh, no, I know, yeah. And um, they and one was like, oh, it's, it's got a few bits in it. I was like, oh, they're nuts and seeds. Totally got away with it. <laughs> He's a beautiful survivor, that guy. Ate four of my fingernails. Ketchup Pro, thank you. I feel much better now. It's high protein. You'll be amazed how many times I go to women's conferences and then we go, finish, 
we go out to the foyer and they're like, we've got some morning tea. It's carrot cake. <laughs> They'll start looking at me like, what the... Yeah, but I guarantee I had nothing to do with it. But we do, we survive these things. I survived the embarrassment. I had to get a bit creative. But the kitchen's been a mixed blessing for me because many times during um, crisis time in my life, particularly during those years where I was really struggling, I spent a lot of time um, in the kitchen, but not so much cooking, just on the kitchen floor. Because I would, having put my kids to bed during the, uh, at the end of the day, having held it together for everybody else, I just let go. And I couldn't hold it together anymore. And I would just sink and cry and land and end up just screaming and crying on the kitchen floor. And I was just crying out to God. And it wasn't like nice crying. It was messy crying, you know, dirty crying. Mascara running. Snot flying. <laughs> strange noises. Because when you're in pain, you don't care. Hey, you don't really care anymore. We come to the end of ourselves. It's like we're in hospital. You know, you're in that gown. People like to open at the back. I'm like, I don't care. Let them look. I'm in pain. Just bring me my drugs. You know, we're just like, we don't care anymore. We don't need to keep up appearances. And I think sometimes when we're going through crisis and we, we need to survive and we, we feel like God's up there going, oh, I'm really surprised she's not happy now. Newsflash, he knows. He actually knows what's going on. As a parent, what would you do if your kid was in pain on the floor? You would get down beside them and you would just say, oh, babe, if I could take it away from you, I would. You wouldn't be up there going, oh, gosh. Drama queen. Well, sometimes we do, you know, if they're faking. But we'd actually just be going, oh, my heart is breaking for you. So I've written a song um, to myself, the girl on the kitchen floor. And if I could speak to myself, my past self now from my future self, what would I say? Part of my survival story is that my life today is completely different to what I thought it was going to be. But I've had to learn to get used to the surprises and actually get, get used to the fact that the, the path of God's will for your life is this, it's, it's like a permissive playground. There's boundaries around it, but there's so many choices inside there, and so many amazing things we could do. There's not one railway track that if one thing goes wrong, we're just derailed, and we might as well just give up. No, there's another train coming. There's another way. There's many, many things to do in that playground, and I just think it's such an amazing thing to be able to enjoy that process. So if I could just speak to myself on that kitchen floor now, this is what I would say. This song is for the girl on the kitchen floor. I'm so grateful that I'm not her anymore. But I never will forget how She cried there on the concrete every night This song is for the girl who had given up hope Who had watched her dreams and promises go up in smoke As she faced the bitter knowledge There was no more comfort inside I want to tell that girl that life will be beautiful again. I want to tell that girl that her days will be full of love again. And I've got miles and miles to go. But in my heart of hearts, I know There is so much left to live for Girl on the kitchen floor This song is for the girl with a tear-stained face Who, in the face of tragedy, hung on to her faith like a lifeline in the tempest Was all she had the energy to do This song is for the hearts Who were shattered and torn Who are living in the darkest hour Just before the dawn Hold on Better days are coming I want to 
tell that girl that life will be beautiful again. I want to tell that girl that her days will be full of love again. And I've got miles and miles to go. But in my heart of hearts, I know there is so much left to live for. Girl on the kitchen floor. Awesome. Grab me this. One of the things that I've survived, particularly during this time, has actually been dealing with my mental wellness. And I talked about this last time I was here. I'm not going to go into it, into it in detail today. But um, having gone through a lot of stress in my world and having gone through a whole bunch of things that I wasn't used to going through, particularly, it really triggered in me um, some really stress-related issues. I went from stress to burnout to anxiety to panic to clinical depression and have dealt with a, a range of mental wellness issues that I've never, never dealt with in my life. It's been a deeply humbling experience, this whole process. I say my life has been like a, a long series of getting knocked off my high horse and getting back on progressively smaller horses. And right now I'm saddling up a chihuahua. Because <laughs> we feel like this underlying message that because we're Christians, it should be fine and it should be good and everything should work out. And if you make the right decisions, you should end up with the right results but I can't find that verse in the Bible. I actually can't find anywhere. What we have been promised is that God will walk with us through whatever and learning to be comfortable with the surprises. I got comfortable with a surprise last week. I had to take my car into the panel beater and so I got a, a, hire, a little loan car and I drove up to the lights and I pulled up and it had a foot brake instead of a handbrake. And I, I, I knew that, I'm not you know, entirely stupid, but I, I was like, yeah, the foot brake there. But of course, in the reflex moments, you tend to default setting whatever you're used to. So instead of a handbrake, I had a foot brake. But interestingly enough, some character had decided that a great design idea would be on the left-hand side of the driver's seat where the handbrake would normally be was this little handle that makes your seat lie back. <laughs> <laughs> so I pull up to the lights. I stop, I pull on my handbrake, <laughs> I don't know what the people next to me must have thought, they're like, she's gone, she disappeared, and of course it makes a noise, and I'm just like there going, see we've got to be ready for the surprises, and so mental wellness stuff has been a surprise to me, but I've got three big things that I like to say about it, firstly, mental wellness issues are a reasonable response of the body to stress, they make a lot of sense. Secondly, we are all on the spectrum of stress. We're all on there somewhere. I say we're all on the crazy scale. It's not about being good or well. or It's just where are we on that spectrum? And thirdly, there's a whole bunch of tools in the toolbox. And the reason I want to just say this is because I just want to share a little video and a little bit about what Michael and I are working on at the moment. We have been putting together a bunch of resources around my whole message, The Beautiful Survivor, and all of that comes together with the sense that God has created us to be well and to be whole in many, many different ways, in a holistic way. And I think in church, we've split it out. We've said, these are the spiritual things, and these are the, the natural things. These are the important things. These are the not-so-important things. And so we've ended up in the situation where we're, you know, we're out there praying so hard for our, our bodies and our health, but we're filling ourselves with sugar, and we're refusing to move, and we're not doing any of the things that are helping us out with our, with our well-being. And sometimes I think God's up there going, mate, I've given you some tools. Might be time you start to use them. And so what we've started doing is sharing on my Facebook page and on my website, and we've had a little series of mental wellness um, issues that have come through there. Radio Rima have given us the chance to do a bunch of God spots um, where six times a day, one minute is, is shared from my perspective on mental well-being. 
and I'm able to just have that kind of fly out there. They said, what do you want to talk about? I said, I'm just going to talk about mental wellness, and they said, that was great. And so we've got these little videos that people are sharing on Facebook. We've had around about 30,000 views of these videos, and I have specifically kept them so anyone can watch them. They're not just for Christians. If you're interested or you think that would be something you'd love to support, it's not like a... um, a financial thing. It's just literally my Facebook page, Julia Grace NZ, um, and just saying, hey, if you have the access to people, can I use your access? Can you share our stuff out with them? Can I put my video on and you click one button and then you share it to your friends, particularly if they're not in church, but they're going through some of the stuff. And so what we're going to do is just show you a one minute video of my first one that I did, um, the Middle Penguin, just to give you a little example of what it is that we're working on at the moment. So I don't know if they can do that now. I love, I love penguins. They're so cute. But they're clever too. To protect themselves from the cold, they huddle together in the spiral formation, taking turns to be in the middle. Hi, I'm Julia Grace. And over the past few years, I've had to learn to be the middle penguin. And it's not easy when you're used to being the protector on the outside. So what do you do if things go wrong in your life and you suddenly find yourself stuck in the middle? Stop fighting. Nobody wants to help a penguin that keeps snapping at them. Thank God for the people he's placed around you. It's not exactly glamorous, but acknowledging your need for help is the first step. Enjoy it. Learn to live at peace with the season that you clearly need. Be humble and make the most of some time out. Don't panic. One day you'll be well and whole and back on the outside protecting and praying for others while secretly wishing for a cup of tea and a lie down. Penguins of all positions, be strong, be brave and be open to support. Find out more at juliagrace.co.nz. Yeah, so that's what, that's what we're doing. So I've got 14 of those. I, my faith is in there, but I want it to be, this is wellness for everybody. And so if you're um, able to help us out by sharing some of that stuff, we would love your support in that way. Um, And another great way to get that is actually just to drop us your email address and I can just send you a really quick um, update with some links through there that you could do that with us. would be wonderful. Um, I do have some CDs there for sale. I'm not going to do an infomercial on those. Although I've always wanted an infomercial. I reckon I'd do a great infomercial. Because I watch a lot of TV when we're on tour. And, um, you know, one o'clock in the morning is a vulnerable time to be watching an infomercial. I was away once and uh, I, you know, I nearly bought myself two shark, Nutribu- uh, shark liftaways and a Nutribullet. And lucky they have a very good comprehensive money-back guarantee. Oh dear. But I do have those um, available for sale out the back. There's four of those. But wait, there's more now. Um, Julia Grace, Beautiful Survivor, which is our theme for today. I was actually, I won my TUI Award for the first one and was runner-up for the second in New Zealand Music Award. As I said to you last time, Helen Clark presented me with my award. She said, congratulations! Um, which was exciting and frightening at the same time. So, <laughs> pretty cool. Um, <laughs> a collection, it is well a collection of mine and my grandma's favourite hymns. And then uh, Girl on the Kitchen Floor, that those series of songs. I record songs because other people's songs have been the soundtrack of my healing, and I hear all the time that the songs that I have made have become the soundtrack of other people's healings, and that makes it really, really worthwhile. So really quickly at the end, we're going to look just at this verse that we started with this morning and bring this around in a full circle. The song, The Beautiful Survivor, talks about making your wings grow stronger And to me, it's that process, that change, that struggle that makes us stronger. And there's two phases of the life of the butterfly and the caterpillar that remind me of this verse, this one degree of glory to another, the slow, painful, sometimes very frustrating process of change. And the two processes I just want to refer to really quickly today, one of them is what I like to call the green goo. And some of you here this morning might be in the green goo phase. You've, you've started life, you've become your little caterpillar, you've, you've done your phase. You know, I mean, the caterpillar phase is a fun one. You just kind of cruise around. You know, caterpillars, they're, just, they're sort of like slow moving. They just chill out. They just eat a lot of food. You know, I've got a teenage son ringing a few bells here right about now. They just grunt. My son's 14, he just grunts. 
my kids came back from Easter camp, and this is the difference between having a daughter and a son. My daughter rang, and I said, how was camp? She goes, oh, it was so great. She's 19. Had an amazing time. It was so God did so many wonderful things. Have you got time for a debrief? We had a 45-minute phone conversation. It was a 45-minute monologue, really, but, you know, of, her, of, me, mm, um, of telling me all about everything that happened, everything that was amazing. I was like, oh, so good. I said to my son, how was camp? Good. <laughs> Same camp. <laughs> Same experiences. I said to Bella, did he have a good time? Oh, yeah, he did this and that and the other, and he got up and he prayed and he did all this cool stuff. <laughs> I have to rely on other people to give me that information. <laughs> Teenage boys, you know, they just kind of like slugs. They just, they just stand around being cool. I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher in West Auckland sometimes, still a little bit. And they spend a lot of time kind of sitting around. I have a theory. Actually, I'm going to do a master's in this. It's, it's I've, got a, I've got a theory. It's called the Jaden effect. Hopefully there's no Jadens here today. But I have a theory. Oh, there is. <laughs> this does clearly not apply to you. But I'll talk to your mother later. But I have a theory based on many years of teaching in a West Auckland school and backed up by all my friends, um, scientifically proven. If you threw a rock through a West Auckland classroom at any given time, you would hit a Jaden. And he would not be doing as he was told. <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> but, you know, we get into this and we've, been, and we, we've gone in our cocoon and we've grown up and stuff. We've got all these cool ideas and we get into this cocoon stage and we're like, oh, I'm going to be a butterfly. We've had a prophecy. We've had something exciting happen. We've had, um, you know, our parents have told us that life's going to be great. We've got married. We've followed the gifts of God and we can see ourselves starting to grow and we're like, oh, it's so exciting to move into the next phase of my life. Oh, I'm wrapped in this cocoon and I can't wait and I'm praying and believing and I'm journaling and, I'm, and you know, God's got me and then, and then they get into that thing. And I think if that caterpillar had any idea what it was going to go through to turn into that butterfly, it would be like, oh, no thanks. Because once they're in that green cocoon, if you cut it open, inside, it's just green goo. It's like soup. It's like a green smoothie. And so all these good ideas and dreams that we had when we were young, we wrap them in this cocoon and then it just gets completely deconstructed. And we're in this thing going, what the heck? And some of you, I can see you nodding here going, yeah, I can feel that. Now, the, the, the bad news is the butterfly does this once. We do this a lot. We're like metamorphosis. We just go round and round in circles. It's like good idea, bad idea, better idea. You know? It's like formed, unformed, reformed. It's a cycle that we see all through the Bible. It's like, yes. It's like Kiwi, yeah, nah. You know. <laughs> and you know that we come out the other side a lot healthier. Because when we're in the yeah, we're just full of optimism. Life's going to be amazing. And we look at those young ones, we're like, oh, good luck. Because <laughs> we know at some stage it's going to be nah. But we're going to come out to the yeah, nah. And once we get into the yeah, nah stage, it's, like, it's okay. Because it might not be that perfect. You know, the team that we built around us, they might have all left us. But we come out here and we're like, that's okay. Jesus will bring someone else along. You know, that job that I so wanted, so excited to get there, and oh, the boss is a pain in the neck. But you know what? I kind of got used to him. You know, I can't wait to get married. So exciting. You know, my life will be together when I finally meet that man. I'll just, it's the same man every day. I know it's not rocket science, but sometimes we were like, you know, we, we, we plant a forest and then we're like, whoa, where did all these trees come from? <laughs> if you have a baby, you'll get a teenager. <laughs> where did this come from? Well, <laughs> mummy and daddy loved each other very much, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we go through this like, uh, and then we come out the other side and we go, actually, you know, I can live with this, this is great. This is cool. I look back over there and I remind myself how much I wanted this. And I get into that ENR stage. And I think it's cool. It's actually a really healthy thing. It's a very Kiwi thing. 
you know, and then we say it. But actually, I think it's great. And the world loves the fact that we are flexible and adaptable because we go in the year and our stage, we can just kind of go with the flow. But we're in the middle of the now, we're in the green goo. It's so awful because we can't see outside the cocoon. How long am I going to be stuck in here? I had a prophecy saying I was going to take the nations. Guess what? Everybody got that prophecy. <laughs> No one ever gets up and go, oh, the Lord's just going to make you incredibly average. <laughs> I see normal, boring things for you. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know that story of the talents? You've got one. <laughs> you know? I should start like realistic prophecies, eh? You're going to do some good things and some real stink things. This year's going to be amazing and really, really hard. And you know, <laughs> It's like star signs. They just apply to everybody, you know. Or it's like, there's going to be a revival. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. What it's going to happen is in my life, what's, what God's going to do in and through me. That's my responsibility. And so we get into this and say, oh, this is awful. But we have to wait and we need to continue. So if you're in the green goo phase, take heart. You might feel like a green smoothie, but you're not going to be stuck there forever. But there's a process that needs to happen. And that deconstruction is the humbling process. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Don't let him do it. Because when God humbled people, they ended up crawling around on their hands and knees eating grass, I do believe. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar. Humble yourself. And actually learn to accept the fact that the situation I'm in, I might be the middle penguin for now. I'm used to being on the outside guarding everybody. And I'm stuck in the middle raising my little flipper. I don't like being in the middle. I got an amazing email from a lady this week who had heard that, or watched that video, and it had spoken to her life so much she had started sharing that with her friends. She wrote it down by hand. I love that. You know, and she sent that off and was encouraging other people like that. Don't panic. You will get through this. But then when we get through that stage and we've got to get out, sometimes it's that struggle. It's that movement, that change. If you take a butterfly and you break it out of its cocoon, you will inhibit its ability to fly because it needs the struggle phase to strengthen its wings. You cannot help it out. If you're surrounded by people who are just doing everything for you, you're just going to come out with these limp little wings and you're never going to fly. I think when we have got people in our world that are struggling, it's very tempting to do the breaking out for, for them. But it's not our job. But what we can do is be cheerleaders. There is nothing stopping us from surrounding that little cocoon, holding hands and going, you go, girl. Come on. Struggle away. You're doing good. And to cheer each other on. And to say, you know what, even though this struggle is painful, even though this process is frustrating, and even though it looks like there's no end to this thing, you are going to get your way through this. And God has a plan because God knew the life cycle of that butterfly from the beginning to the end. And he knows your situation and he knows where you're at and he's not surprised by your struggle. So I'm going to finish off now with this song. And I, I spoke in Nelson and, and a lady came to my show and she was obviously suffering from breast cancer and um, she had a uh, scarf on her head and she spoke to me later and she said oh I just came out tonight and I just laughed and laughed laughed till I, uh, till I cried and I was so overwhelmed I thought you know that someone in the middle of their struggle would come and spend the evening with me I felt really humbled and so I wanted to sing a song that spoke to her heart from God and he says I'm always on your side even when you struggle it makes your wings go stronger because you're a beautiful survivor Sometimes the night is so deep, you just cannot sleep for all that's surrounding you. Everything says, circles your head, you feel like you're drowning. But here in the shadow, you know I won't leave you alone. I said I would never abandon. Well, I'm always on your side. 
so much for having me and I'm going to pass back to Pastor John. Julia, thank you so much. Let's give her another hand. Awesome service, awesome, 